In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. You have indeed found No Proscenium, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. This week on the show, two great interviews from two entirely different poles of the Immersiverse. First up, Anna Brzezinska, curator of this year's Tribeca Immersive at the Tribeca Festival, which is taking place right now in New York City, joins us to talk about this year's selections and how it all comes together, both in NYC and in the virtual galleries of the Museum of Other Realities. Then we shift coasts and festivals for the Hollywood Fringe, where Morgan Taylor, Mason Conrad, and Kristen Childers of Not Another Midsummer join us to talk about this rollicking new show that wraps the Bard's classic with an immersive meta-story about a theater troupe coming apart at the seams. But before we get into this week's interviews, a few announcements. Head on over to the NoPro site and you'll find the latest edition of our call sheet, including casting calls in San Diego for an upcoming San Diego Comic-Con activation. Yep, it's all happening again this July. And a call for performers at Meow Wolf's Vortex Festival in Denver happening this August. Plus... There's the deadline coming up for the first Arts Immersive Media Fellowship at Arizona State University. Arizona State University is really going all in with this new program. There's uh, a lot of money in the fellowship, and there's some great professors working that, including Nani de la Pena, uh, known as the godmother of VR. So there you go. Uh, and uh, they've got facilities in Arizona and in Los Angeles. So taken. Take a look at that. Uh, the interviews are happening at the end of the month, and the fellowship starts in August, so it's not too late, although it's just about to be too late, so go check it out. We've also got our first NoPro office hours in some time coming up this Monday the 13th at 4 p.m. Pacific in the NoPro Discord. RSVP to get a reminder in the Discord app. There'll be a link in the show notes. And you can just let us know if you're stopping by. We like to know who's, uh, you know, who, who to get ready to talk to. Uh, we'll be, here's what's on my mind. Tribeca Immersive is going to be on my mind. The big branded immersive activations breaking out all over is going to be on my mind. And the latest on the XR front. Uh, that's what I'd love to talk to you about. But hey, uh, bring your own uh, topics and uh, let's just chat. Let's chat office hours. All right. New Persinium, of course, is brought to you by the generous support of our Patreon backers. I don't get to be alive without you. Our latest backer is Mins. We are currently standing at 363 backers and pulling in about $2,361 a month. Uh, still less than half of what... <laughs> what I need to be pulling in to do this full time. And yet I'm doing it full time. Oh boy. Uh, we remain completely community funded. So, uh, if, uh, what we do is valuable, um, to you, uh, help, uh, patreon.com slash no proscenium. The sustaining backers of no pro are Ari Hurston, Chris Wolman, Eric Shamlin, Deborah Robinson, Elaine J. Bushman, Jerome Joseph, Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all. And now, without further ado, let's get into our first interview. 
This year's Tribeca Immersive Slate features 21 pieces of work across three categories, the main competition, new voices, and a best-in-season showcase. To dig into this year's offerings, we're joined by Anna Brzezinska, the curator of this year's Tribeca Immersive Programming. Anna, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Noah. It's really a pleasure to, uh, to chat with you today. Well, I'm 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 super excited. Tribeca is is just like the show each year, uh, almost like without doubt. At least for kicking off the year, and there's always so much great work. And you've gathered up this this amazing collection for everyone this year. And I know we only have so much time with you, so we're going to kind of do a lightning round version of of this. Uh, but for starters, you know, where did you start when curating this year's lineup? Well, it always starts and it always ends with the same. I always start with with creators. I always start with our community, with the artists that I've been um, following and admiring for years. But also, I've, I'm, I'm tracking a lot of new talent. This is also something that has been a, a massive part of my of my past life when I when I worked with Renee at Kaleidoscope. So when when I when I got this phenomenal opportunity to curate this year's edition of, of Tribeca Immersive, I started immediately, um, you know, talking with creators, reaching out to studios, reaching out to artists, and asking them, uh, "What is it that you've been working on in the past couple of years? What is it that, you know, these these two past years, um, very special, very challenging, often very difficult." Um, made you focus on and then obviously we we had a, a fair amount of of the official submissions so for me it was really a, a very important moment in the beginning of this year to take a look at what the creative community uh, has been working on and and the whole curation that we introduced this year the themes the four thematic chapters so to speak um, this is all a result of what I heard back, what what the community wanted to, t- to tell us and what they decided to share with me. So I, I think it's really reflecting on what our uh, friends and, and colleagues have been mainly uh, focusing on. And as you as you know, um, this year's curation is 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 I would say very specific in terms of types of stories that, that we're sharing, the message behind those stories. And not only every single experience is, is really a very distinct uh, piece of digital art, but when you take a look at the whole curation from uh, a bird's eye view, so to speak, you'll see that these stories start to blend into uh, a very cohesive meta story um, about where we are today as a, as a society and as a community. We mentioned the, the four sort of thematic elements and, and this idea of taking a step back and looking at the meta. What are the threads people should be, you know, pulling on uh, as, as they're looking at this as a, as a whole? So we, we have four thematic areas that we, um, that we introduced this year. And just to very briefly kind of highlight what these areas are, we have a nature chapter, so a curation of experiences uh, made by creators who are trying to find a way to use uh, cutting-edge technology to find a way to reconnect with nature or find a way to tell stories about human relationship with nature, human relationship with 
with, with ourselves and with our environment in a way that is inspiring and, and liberating in a way which doesn't create, you know, this um, very dark and, 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 and overwhelming sense of guilt that we often have when we try to tell so-called environmental stories. But we also have a very strong curation that is dedicated to society and that is dedicated to identity. So how the identity of an individual changes and, and, and evolves and how it is interconnected with uh, our relationship to a larger community or how it changes our society. Um, there's also a, a very beautiful uh, chapter that I called Art and Memory. And it's something that is very present uh, in the immersive industry for some reason. There's often a lot of inspiring works that are being made out of memories, individual memories or, or collective memories that are being kind of brought up and, and, and turned into a, a very passionate story. Yeah, this um, is not a ceremony, is, is in that thematic yes, zone. Yes, and and I when I when I saw that tag, I after watching the piece, I thought that was such a it was actually kind of a really poetic and, and beautiful way of, of thinking about you know a category of work in immersive. Um, so so kudos on 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 that structure right there. Thank you. Um, this is not a ceremony. is is one of the experiences that. Um, were very important to me this season. I've I've seen it uh, during the the Sundance Digital Edition, and and I've been reviewing it afterwards. And I think it's a very um, special experience, not only because of uh, what this experience is about, but I really admire the way that Colin decided to approach this topic uh, without actually putting himself and his community in a position of a victim. It's mm-hmm. actually an experience that really very strongly kind of tries to restore a sense of agency and and it's very powerful and and I think that the poetics and this very bitter sense of humor that is also present is is actually the way to go to to actually tell those kinds of stories uh but yes, and then we have a fourth chapter that is called tomorrow and uh this is this is a very uh, open category because it's both uh, uh, a space where you can try to find stories about the future and how we imagine the future, how we imagine the future of our species, or how we imagine the future of our of our world or, or or places we live in. But also, it's it's obviously a space where you can find uh, works that experiment with different storytelling tools in order to like. Um, to kind of redefine uh, how we how we think about spatial storytelling. So, and the, the there's there's one thing that I, I I really enjoy about these four themes is that there's no sharp uh, distinction between those chapters. You could say mm. that some of the experiences are actually like uh, they could be in at least two categories. But this is what makes this this overall meta story very 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 cohesive i would say and also it makes you feel that there's a there's almost uh, there's almost a, an interconnection between those experiences a sort of dialogue that these creators established uh unwillingly but 
uh, I think it's a very beautiful thing to observe. Well, it's part of the the curator's art, actually, is to you know sort of find the themes and the zeitgeist. So even though the the creators may not be intentionally you know creating a meta construct, they they are operating in the world, and the world you know has its effect. So um, it's 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 one of the things that I always love about a well curated festival is is t- to sort of see the the lenses through which the curatorial teams looking at at the work which sort of lets you also see how the artists are are seeing the world it's this dialogue back and forth um you mentioned that part of your process you know in, at the beginning to end not every part right like the alpha and the omega is starting with the community starting with the creators there's there's some creators here that are pretty familiar in the main competition to the no pro set. So Marshmallow Laser Feast, Nani De La Pena, Darkfield, Nancy Baker Cahill. You know, we've been following these folks for for a while now. I'm wondering, because I know you've been following them too, are you are you seeing these these now these veteran creators, are you seeing their work evolve as the medium matures? Very much so. Um, very much so. And um I know that after a couple of years, uh, it might sometimes feel that we know what to expect from certain creators or certain studios. But when you when you take a close look at, at what they're showing at Tribeca this year, you will definitely understand that this is again uh, a step forward. Uh, and you know, we could talk about every single creator you mentioned, but just to um, just to um, uh, stop for a minute and, 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 and chat about Marshmallow Laser Feast. Um, I think this is, a, this is going to be really an example of, of a major step forward for them mm. on many different levels. Uh, this is a whole separate conversation. You know, we could, we could write a small book about Evolver, but um, I think there are two important things that I notice when I, when I look at that experience. One is that I think... Marshmallow Laser Feast collected all their experience, all their knowledge, uh, all their wisdom, but also brought partners from very, very different disciplines into that project in order to create something that is really a uh, uh, kind of example of a Gesamtkunstwerk. So it is a science-based social VR experience that is obviously using you know stunning quality imagery uh the music score is is absolutely uh, fantastic it's it, it's very narrative and it plays a massive role in, in how you experience that piece but it's also uh an experience that is supposed to grow in time the version we're showing at tribeca is relatively small compared to what i know that the team wants to do in the future and it's still a, a standalone installation. It's something you can you can see, you know, travel, uh, you know, across the world. You could present it in in museums, but you could also present it in, you know, um, tech cent- tech and science centers. It's very there's so many aspects to that to that experience that it's even difficult to to start thinking, you know, how to properly defined it because it doesn't belong to one world it doesn't belong to one to one creative sector so to speak mm. and i really hope that our audience members will appreciate that because i think there is a lot of demand to these kind of experiences nowadays 
and because of the the topic of the experience and, and what it actually tells us, I think it's going to to um, it's going to be a very emotional experience for a lot of people in a good way. Uh, and I think we needed that experience after these two, three years, very dark years, years where many lives were lost. Well, and there's there's something about the the. I don't know the full details on, on Evolver, but the the tag of it being a social VR experience. And and whenever I've done, on the rare chances I get to do, uh, you know, social VR experiences, like in, in situ with multiple people in headsets, sort of experiencing kind of a, a collective hallucination, if you will, it is, it is always a, a powerful route to catharsis, a powerful route to kind of kind of creating a, a shared experience so um very 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 curious as to as to finally be able to check that one out uh, I'm, I'm jealous of our, our new york team who will get to see it and and i won't because I'm, I'm stuck in la um, um I, I do wonder you know these artists are working i, I said you know do you see them evolving as, as the medium matures but these artists are working on lots of different platforms and, and even something like Evolver, which is bringing in different disciplines, as you mentioned. Um, do you see this as multiple mediums, a collection of mediums or, or one medium? I know uh, Tribeca uh, moved the name to be Tribeca Immersive. Uh, not, not I think last year was the first year uh, uh, under that branding. Does this signal a shift of this being one thing? How do, how do you how do you how do you see this field? These... Hmm. I think there are two things. One thing is that Tribeca Festival changed the name from Tribeca Film Festival to Tribeca Festival to emphasize on the fact that there are so many different art disciplines that are being celebrated here in New York during the festival. So obviously, there's there are film. Um, there are, there are filmmakers and, and, and traditional storytellers, but we have immersive creators, we have games, music, podcasts. So the context of the festival is, is, is very kind of very much aligned to the, the way we are used to think about art because of the nature of, of XR or immersive, however you decide to call it. I mean, for us, it, it always has been obvious that we, we are interdisciplinary creators that we work with different mediums and we're using different platforms to uh, to send our, our message to, to our audience members. But I'm very, very happy and I feel extremely privileged that uh, we have a chance to, to, to present our selection within, um, you know, an, uh, a cultural event. Of, of that magnitude that understands that this is the way where our entire culture is heading. So this is, this is one thing uh, I think that is important. And another thing is that I, I personally have a, a very strong belief that although we started as a very small industry and, and we're still considered to be a niche, the way we think and the way we try to hack storytelling at large is the way our culture and our world will soon be organized, you know, on a, on, a, on a general scale. I mean, XR will be everywhere because it will become uh, just a, a natural thing for, for everyone. 
sooner than later. Um, whereas we're talking about the way people experience art, whether we speak about education, uh, everyday, uh, you know, contact with our relatives and friends or the way we work. I mean, spatial communication and communication across layers of reality is, is the way is, 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 is where we're heading to. So I think we're just preparing a ground for something that will become as natural as, um, the internet is today, for example, just to you know use the most obvious of uh, of, uh, of um, comparisons, right? Yeah. So um, I think the fact that creators uh, that we uh, are 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 inviting to Tribeca are using different mediums is is a very natural part of the process because they know that the mediums they are choosing are always a consequence of what is it that they're trying to say? And the medium is just something that becomes a tool, but it's not, it's never kind of determining what, what the story is about. Speaking of, of artists who you know, using different disciplines and different mediums, one of the folks you have in the new voices slate is a cat named Edward Madojimu, who, uh, and this is, I got to meet him uh, because of Kaleidoscope, you mentioned Kaleidoscope a, a little while ago. It was it was up, uh, I think, in Vancouver. There was a Kaleidoscope event, and Edward was at it. It might be how you also know him. Uh, he was there with some student work that was mixing the the comic book idiom and virtual reality. Um, could you tell me? Uh, could you give me a little sneak peek and tell me uh, what what's Edward's new piece in this? It's it's so exciting to watch someone go from like student to like be in. Tribeca when I saw the announcement I like DM'd him on Instagram I'm like oh my god dude <laughs> he was like he was like I know we were, we were kind of like geeking out together so uh t- tell me in because I, I, I haven't dug it up yet like tell 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 me about this I, I want to know I want to know everything well uh, I think you you're going to love it because it's uh I would say it's almost a feature uh it's, oh, wow. it really feels like a like a proper uh you know narrative story um and I think it's it's also just one of the one of the chapters because it, it feels like a beginning of a series to me. But from uh, what I know is that um, Edward and, and his brother, Adam, they've been working on a graphic novel. And this is actually how that experience kind of came to life. Um, I What I really love about it, and it's so refreshing to see these kinds of uh, experiences, is that it introduces a very simple but very fresh and very smart uh, way of using animation and perspective and motion and color uh, to build uh, a story world uh, that feels, I would say, you know, the form and the story and the visual language are equally important in that experience. But you don't think about it when you watch it. You just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's very true what you said that there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of references to uh, to comic books, to graphic novels, to the way um, these stories are 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 being told. But because this is a a, a VR experience, um, it's it's obviously uh, they brought it to to a completely different level. Uh, the story itself is 
is, is almost like a modern tale. Uh, it feels, in the beginning, it feels very realistic and it feels like, uh, you know, a story that could become, you know, a beginning of a, you know, a crime series. But then suddenly there are these elements that you are being introduced to that are purely magical and you suddenly just dive into a, a, a world that has nothing to do with realism anymore. And it's a very, very beautiful story about a relationship between the protagonists. I cannot mention all of them because that would be a spoiler. But it's also um, it's also very beautiful in terms of how it plays with color, with color palettes that Edward is using. Um, the, the piece is set in, in Nigeria. And I think Edward's mission was also to make sure to do justice to every to the way he remembers that place, to the way he remembers uh, people and nature and cities and the feeling of it. So there's there's a lot there's a lot of beautiful elements in that story, and and it's true that you know it's a it's a pretty fascinating um, uh, debut, I would say, because I also remember Edward's work, um, Edward's students' work, uh, and. The, the progress he made since um, How Was Your Day is, is stunning. So I really yeah. recommend uh, this experience to everyone. And I think it will become wildly available because it's been co-produced by Meta. So it will probably be very soon available on, on Oculus channels. Very, it's very, very exciting. Uh, like I'm, I'm looking forward to lots of people getting to, to, you hear how this see how see and hear how this guy tells stories uh and and the way he approaches the spatial storytelling medium um as you mentioned it's it uh it'll be probably available relatively widely in the not too distant future it is part of the selections that are uh, available at home uh, a, a good chunk of new voices in best in season are available at home um is is this because I don't want so much time uh, before, before I gotta let you go? But I'm I am curious. The past two years, you know, we we saw you know the fully online festivals, the hybrid festival. Now uh, there's there's a a good amount of the programming, particularly the the main competition, is is just on site. But there are the other parts that are you know available at home. Um, is this the way going forward? Do you think for for festivals, great and small, uh, are we just in in this new era now, where the the festivals aren't just a localized phenomenon? I would like to to have the opportunity of sharing, uh, you know, a large part of our selections with international audience members because I know how how difficult and, and challenging it can be to to travel to festivals and and personally, you know. For environmental reasons, I I also feel like maybe this is not something that is necessary uh, every time. I feel like during the pandemic we we learn a lot about how we can build a shared online experience, and and I want to kind of keep that. I want to I want to use those learnings, but of course I I also see that our industry and and everybody in the community. Uh, start to prioritize in-person experiences. And my my only goal this year uh, was 
of course, to create uh, a stunning in-person experience, to build a beautiful exhibition, to make sure that we have a chance to uh, present those experiences the way, the way creators intended them to be available to to festival audience uh, members. But also, we when we were thinking about how do we make those experiences available online, I thought, I don't want to create a replica of a physical world where you know, experiences will just live. Uh, and what happened is that we were very fortunate to uh, start um, a collaboration with Danny Bittman, of your artist, uh, who works with the Museum of Other Realities. And Danny designed an entire virtual world, which is not really an exhibition space. It's more of a garden than, mm. you know, a gallery, uh, which reflects the main themes of our curation and reflects the themes and the topics of every experience that lives in that space. So it's very, a very bespoke, you know, uh, handmade virtual space. That is, for me, this is an extension of our in-person exhibition in New York. So it's a digital sibling, if you, you know, if you want to call it that way. And I think that it's a separate offering. It's not something that we do because we need to do it or because this is, you know, well, if you're not in New York, you can see some of the experiences and here they are. No, it's really, it's really a space, uh, a separate space, a standalone commission. Uh, I think it's equally important to me uh, and I would love people to enjoy it as much as they will enjoy the in-person experience at the festival. Some of the experiences that are presented in New York and Spring Studios will be also available in that world. Some of them won't for, you know, licensing reasons. This is every time uh, uh, a creator's decision, whether they want to make their work available globally or if, if they need to keep, you know, their international premiere status for, for another festival. But um, But I think that, that would be definitely my my dream in the future to be able to have two parallel universes, one one in real life and one in in a virtual environment that re- remain in a certain creative dialogue and that tell the same story but differently, and then see what happens, you know, at the between those 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 realities. Well, Anna, I want to thank you so much for, for the time you've given us today. And I'm really looking forward to getting to, to dive into the, the virtual version of Tribeca. And I'm, as I mentioned, I'm very jealous of my New York squad who will get to experience a few of the pieces, uh, especially Evolver. Uh, and yeah, the uh, as this drops, the Tribeca Immersive is on. If you are in New York and uh, you're just realizing this now, uh, you've got some time left. So please go, go run, get a ticket, go if there are tickets still available by the time this happens. And if you are uh, pining from afar, uh, as I am, uh, the good news is, is that if you have access to the Museum of the Realities, you can uh, check out what's going on there for uh, just a song, basically. So go check it out. Thanks, Anna. Thank you, Noah.
just about every summer, the Hollywood Fringe Festival comes to town here in Los Angeles and brings with it a cavalcade of shows ranging from the, why did I see that, all the way to the, I can't believe this is here at a Fringe Festival. I'm very honored tonight to be sitting around the table with folks who have made one of the latter, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves real quick. Hi, I'm Morgan Taylor. I'm an actor and a co-creator of Not Another Midsummer. Hey, I'm Mason Conrad. I'm an actor and a co-creator as well. <laughs> and I'm Kristen Childers, and I am the creator producer of Not Another Midsummer. So y'all have worked together before uh, on other projects. And I'm wondering where when did when did this when the idea to do this show come together? What's mm. what's the origin story here? Yeah, uh, well, I, I, it came, I, I wanted to do Immersive Shakespeare ever since I saw Sleep No More forever ago when I was in like undergrad. Um, and then when I moved out to L.A., um, I was always a big Shakespeare nerd. Um, and I always, uh, I, I did a lot of traveling and did a bunch of different shows throughout um, the States for a bit. And then I started doing JFI shows. And I started, I did The Willows and all of that. And in my mind, I was, I was like, man, I want to just blend Shakespeare and immersive so badly, but I want to be in charge. Um, and then I met Morgan at uh, USD. We went to grad school together. We went, got our master's at the Old Globe program. And then when we came back, we had all of the Shakespeare training. And then she, and we had all this immersive training. And we we're like, well, fuck it. Let's combine the two finally. Um, and the reason why the show got written in the first place was because I, Justin Fix knew all of that. And he was like, Hey, you should write a show. And then I, and then we did. And then Kristen was like, let's do it. Yeah. And it would have <laughs> never happened without Kristen here. Um, this like, it, we talked, Morgan and I talk about it all the time. We're like this, Kristen's literally the reason why we're doing this. Cause she saw that potential in it and, um, was willing to stand behind it which is awesome. Oh my God, you guys. I didn't realize I was going to get emotional at the top of this From conversation. The top. <laughs> tears, baby. <laughs> Nobody can see me, thank God. I'm like welling up with tears right now. Uh, <laughs> but it, she looks gorgeous. Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... Mason knew that I had a love of Shakespeare already. There was another show. I'm not going to say what it is because we'll probably will do it at some point, maybe. Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> we had a whole other idea. We had a whole other idea at one point. That's like way too much money. Yeah, so <laughs> but expensive. Um, but also Shakespeare and also immersive mm -hmm. and seemed like a lot of fun. And we kind of connected over that. And I've known Mason for years before he went away to uh, – to his um, graduate program. It sounds like war. And then he came back. Before he went Seriously, away. we were in the trenches. Uh, I and was then... wondering where you were for a minute. So. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I I definitely disappeared from the immersive scene for like two and a half mm -hmm. years. And I it was someone sad made a Ken's a... Burns documentary about you being gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he goes away. He goes away, and he comes back with this like wealth of knowledge, even more talent if that was possible, and this beautiful girlfriend who shares his love of Shakespeare and matches him talent for talent at every turn. And they, you know, uh, they did a show, they did a JFI show together and in the background had that conversation with Justin, they were writing it. And uh, it somehow that, I mean, our first conversation about Shakespeare was a few years ago, I think a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I wrote this thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. We were we were cutting mid, we were cutting Midsummer for this production during Creep LA no during Creep LA, LA. Uh, mm -hmm. the the re, uh, the recent one 
what was it called? It was called Creep LA. It was just, it was called just Creep, Creep, LA. Creep LA. Yeah, That's but we were, we were in the process of beginning to write this show then. We were, it took us a long time to get Midsummer to the cut we have. Mm-hmm. Which still is a, like no, it's not too long. No, we had fun last night. it's still yeah, we had so much fun last yeah. night. It was a good time. <laughs> and we jumped into the origin. That's that's my fault. Before laying down what it is, so how would you describe the show? Because there's there's mm. elements of immersive in it. There's also yeah. a, a very traditional is not the right word, but well, well, we'll get into like there's the show within the show. There's the yeah. troupe doing Midsummer. But how would you guys describe this and, and how it relates to the kind of immersive work you've done before? For me, it relates to the immersive work that we've done before because there are a lot of the like the the rules of immersive. I think we've followed them um, in certain ways. But the best part of the rules of immersive is that they were literally made to be broken. Right. It's a little bit like. Uh, like what modern dance was to ballet, that <laughs> you can come in and, and, and create a world and bring people into a story by looking them in the eye. But then what we've done with this is set you up to get to know characters, and then we give you this like beautiful piece of classic Shakespeare with the idea being that because you've gotten to know them for a minute before, there's an immediacy to it and an intimacy that you wouldn't normally find in a traditional proscenium show, or even in a theater in the round, which is how we've staged our show. So you've mentioned building a world and, and inviting me into the show. Into the show, we're going to toss to you and give you a chance here. What is that world that you guys have built here? Um, a lot of the. Do you want? I think we should talk about a little bit of the inspiration of it. Mason and I have gone and watched like drunk Shakespeare's before, um, and part of our favorite. We love seeing Shakespeare in every art form. We love the looseness of watching people just let it rip and and drunk Shakespeare really caters to their audience, which is what I think we think Shakespeare is about. It's about catering to your audience mm. and, and playing the jokes for these people. But when you get to see... That's right. That's actually, given how many Shakespeare like companies and festivals and like regional Shakespeare's there are out there, that's really astute. Because I think of all the different ones I've seen and like each one's got a different... Like Ashland's different from what you mm-hmm. see in the Bay Area, which is different from what might be at Santa Cruz, which is different from down at the Old Globe in San Diego, which is way different from the RSC. Right, yeah. definitely. And um, as, a, as a getting to know the company, then when you see the show you get to know the backstory of like what these people are dealing with, which is sometimes some of our favorite parts of actually getting to go and see your friends do a show is knowing the drama that's happening offstage privately between these two people when you're seeing a couple who's fighting at home and then they have to come into work and do a job where they fall in love. Um, I just think that's fascinating to watch and it's such a treat to get to bring other people who maybe don't get to know actors on and off stage into that world a little bit more. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, uh, we, we, we just love to like have that drama. It's, it's so, it adds an extra level, right? Because you go to Drunk Shakespeare to watch your friends. You don't go to Drunk Shakespeare to watch Shakespeare because every time you go to Drunk Shakespeare, the Shakespeare is, is chopped and messy and kind of screwy. Um, but you're laughing and drinking because your friends are laughing and drinking. So we thought, how do we make the entire audience our friends? So that's what that immersive pre-show is at the beginning um, where you meet everyone. I, I guess we should just spit out the concept yeah. of it. So like you uh, you walk into this. I don't want to give the whole show away. No. But I th- uh, you walk into the show and you meet the company, the Queen's Fools. Um, and they lost half of their cast in Yermo, California. They're missing half of their set. Everything's 
totally fucked. Um, but the show must go on. And uh, as you walk around the pre-show and watch everyone set up while the audience is there watching, you're hearing all of the drama happening between the actors and hearing mm-hmm. so-and-so loves so-and-so and this person's doing that. And um, so then once you finally see the show, every audience member has their own secrets about the cast that as they watch, you know, the lovers brawl, they're like, everyone's seeing it in a different light suddenly because I know this person likes that person and this person slept with that person and oh my God. And they've all heard different things. They've all heard yeah. different parts of that from different characters because mm-hmm. every every character has a perspective on what's happening behind the scenes. And so depending on me as audience member, which character I spoke to, I'm going to have a different take on what I'm viewing, which I think is really fun, right? And we've talked about this a lot. Like, Midsummer is already, there's a play within a play. It's already, there's a meta nature to it. And this adds, like, an additional layer of that, which is so much fun. It's just so much fun to play with. And we've, we've had such a good time talking to the actors about, like, who are you? Because when you're on the stage in the Shakespeare, you're not, it's not like all of a sudden, oh, you were... Theo, and now you're Mason again doing this. No, no, you are Mason playing Theo, playing this other character, right? Playing bottom, and that's... Playing Pyramus. Playing Pyramus, <laughs> right? Four exactly. Levels of it's meta. like four levels of meta. <laughs> Which is, I mean, look, I, and we're all, we're, we're like theater nerds, right? We're theater, and more than that, that we're, we're theater lovers. And, yeah. and somebody said this to me last night, and I'm going to paraphrase it and maybe even badly, but I felt like he hit the nail on the head, and I was like, yes, if this is what people are taking away, this is exactly what we were trying to do he was like this felt like a really fun raucous love letter to the process of making theater yes and that resonated for me i think it resonates for all of us as as creators on this show that that's what we were attempting to do was really not just make you fall in love with the shakespeare Mm. which i think a lot of people have said to us it's the most fun they've ever had at shakespeare someone actually said this is the first time I've ever been able to like palate or stomach Shakespeare, yeah. which I think is, and that's okay, right? Yeah. It's okay to have come in yeah. with a love for immersive and a disdain for the bard. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But to be walking away without that at the end, like well, well, amazing. Well you, well, you guys brought up drunk Shakespeare and, and some of these other structures, but it did strike me. I was really struck by how good the play within the play is <laughs> that how like, you know, I've, I've done cut down versions of midsummer with like junior high kids and high yeah. schoolers. Right. Like I've, I've directed <laughs> those shows. Right. You know, yes. and endured that. And like, and so I, I could see the cuts and like the, like midsummer collapses in itself in like some really efficient and beautiful ways. Yeah. Like you can get that story down. And even while you're still preserving the play within the play, right. Pyramus and Thisbe, right. Like, and so you've got, you've got turtles all the way down. It's plays within plays within plays within plays. But instead of just like making a total gag of it, like you go for it. Yeah. Like you, you absolutely go for, for midsummer. And it was so clear. Like that was one of the things I was really impressed by. It was like every actor you know, who wasn't just dragged up from the audience and poor unsuspecting soul. <laughs> like, not only like knew the character they were playing inside the company, but they knew they knew those lines. They knew how to articulate it. Um, some of my professors back in college were like obsessed with narrative clarity, obsessed with the actors being able to be really clear and precise. And and that's what I was seeing last night. I was like so excited to see Shakespeare done that on point. And then at any moment could break down at any moment, you know, if you were looking just off to the side, you saw the players playing and setting up and getting ready to go on and all the little things going in. So how do you, 
how do you rehearse a beast like that? How do you, you know, could you do this without like this company of actors you've been playing with for years now with all these dif- these different folks? Well, that, yeah, that's interesting because we because we really we we had auditions. We could have easily cast this show right away off the top of our head with who we thought would play what, um, but we wanted to hear a lot of Shakespearean actors audition and like see if maybe they could do the immersive stuff and at the end and vice versa and at the end of the day because the show is is so wild um we chose to go with the immersive actors that we create stuff with all the time uh because one they're our best friends two we trust them implicitly and three uh, they're just fucking good especially at immersive we trust that they'll hold that fort down so what we did is we focused heavily on rehearsing the shakespeare Mm. more so than the immersive because we knew that when push came to shove everyone's a great improviser they'll do wonderfully and they'll kill it um but some like kylie thurman who plays uh helena fuck (laughs) i'm tired um she has never done shakespeare in her life can you believe that not that a, was her first no, show no, she's ever done. I actually yeah. can't. She, Unreal. She's so good. Unreal. She's Unreal. so good. And, and she was so prepared. Like she, yes. she brought it. Like getting to watch Kylie work through the process of putting the show together has been mm-hmm. a great joy. Mm-hmm. I think for all of us. Yeah. Because she fucking nails it. Well, one of the things that was a joy for we me. We love the rest of our cast too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's great. Slacking, You're all amazing. No. <laughs> well, one of the things that was, was really impressive for me is like I've seen a lot of the, these folks like in JFI shows or other things in the immersive scene and getting to see entirely different sides of them and even entirely different sides of them like you know two different ex, you know, different sides as people are like jumping around in their characters and that was that was a, a, a nice little treat if you're someone who's been running around the immersive scene for a while it's like oh I get to see everybody's range yeah. but also there's just there's there's so there's so many layers going on in any given moment. So how do you how did you guys decide? You know, what, was there a, something where you pulled back and said, okay, this is this is too much meta? Was there? You mentioned like you know trying to cut things. What were what was what was the forging process like on this? And and how much was all on the page before you hit the actors? And then what happened when you hit the actors? Which is like 19 questions. So please just describe yeah. the entire process. You seem like you have an idea. <laughs> Me? Well, yeah. yeah well, uh, Do it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess the, the, we wrote a lot. We have, uh, which is, we, of course we knew these guys could improvise, which is the cherry on top of the cake. But for the immersive, we wrote, I think, 40, 37, 37 pages of pre-show. And the pre-show lasts truly like 20-ish minutes or so, 25 minutes at the most. Um, So we wrote a lot of pre-show. So the whole script itself is um, much longer than some of the immersive scripts I've received in recent times because there's this new trend right now with immersive where, um, and I'm going to get in a soapbox, but there's this new trend where it's like, we're not really going to write a script. You are an immersive actor. You are a great improviser. I'm going to hire you to come in and improvise. And this is the show that I'm putting my name on as a writer. And you're like, no, I'm the writer actually, because mm. I'm improvising everything for you. And you only gave me three lines of dialogue, but the show itself is 30 45 minutes. So I think we wanted to give our actors too much. 
and be like, you're never going to do this whole monologue. You can try, but like, it's not going to happen uh, because you're going to get interrupted over and over again. God so like that. So it was tough for some. There was one uh, one of our actors is newer to immersive and it was it was fun to watch him be like, <laughs> try so hard to do the whole monologue. We had to be like, dude, just hit the plot points. Like, but like, but the, it's there for backstory. It's there for you. It's there for any time there's a quiet moment when you're like, oh shit, what do I say now? You have a line you can pull out mm-hmm. from your mm-hmm. from your bag. And I think it it really gave people from the very beginning, from the first table read we did, a really clear idea of who these people are, mm. who they are, what their function is within this theater company, and how they relate to everyone else. Which is sometimes a lot of the work of coming into immersive and being like, you all know each other, good luck. Mm-hmm. And then having to forge those relationships yourself. But we gave everyone their relationships and everything like that. And I think that uh, expedited some of that, some of that creative process of being like, so then how do I feel while I'm rehearsing the Shakespeare play as Michaela or whatever? You know how you feel about yeah. everybody because we've told you. Um, and yeah. and there's room within that, of course. Um, but it's it's a good jumping off point, I feel like. Yeah, there was so much room. But I will say, I mean, I have to really compliment Mason and Morgan right now that the world that they built on the page truly is one of the most robust worlds and fully thought out and realized worlds that I've ever seen in an immersive script. And I've been doing this for a little while. Um, <laughs> just a little while. <laughs> just a little while. Um, but they really did. They came into it with a clear picture of what they wanted the audience to feel when the first line of Shakespeare was uttered. Mm. And so they built from that this fully realized world that gets you into that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just uh, truly, I, I can't think of a better way to have done it. And because the Shakespeare was so important, I feel like you kind of had to do that. And so maybe sometimes like if the the, the final piece indicated the process in certain ways but the process was really good and the the creativity and the collaboration between the two of them and what they were able to kind of make before we ever went into casting it's like we went into casting kind of knowing exactly what we needed and what we were looking for because they had already they had already done it and then we allowed ourselves to be surprised by what actors brought in. Yeah. Um, so the process has just felt really, really good. And it started from what came out of your brains and you were able to translate those thoughts into text. And it, it's it been really wonderful to watch. It's been crazy to watch that pre-show come alive too because mm-hmm. I don't know what we thought it was going to be, but it is a shit show. Like it is, <laughs> it's just fucking chaos. And like everyone's all over the place. Everyone's talking over each other. It's anxiety inducing and i was watching it last night as it's for being an actor and a director at the same time sucks i don't it's i don't hard. like it's really hard because like you're acting with your friends and i'm acting with my best friend in the world jacob and then i'm giving him notes in my head and i'm like not even in character but then i'm also like well i guess that's what theo would do anyways um <laughs> but uh blame it on the character blame it on yeah, the character exactly. blame it on wasn't the character. me it was theo like, like, oh, my character um but it was I was stressed yesterday. Um, was that know. the first time you had a full audience? First time? Okay. So I think this show true. No, I don't want to say that because we want to sell all our, like this. It was a big crowd. <laughs> it was yeah. big, bro. Yeah. Uh, it was like 63 
people all together. We oversold was, our show. It, it was for for a preview night. For, yeah, yeah, technically, yeah. right? Yeah. We 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 did it. We've done it in the three clubs once before this, and it was just for JFI friends. Mm. Um, so there was, I think, there, six nine, audience, nine, nine audience members. Ooh, whoa, that's a that's a yeah, that's a very nine. different beast. So it was. I was in the pre-show and I was sweating profusely in my little tweed vest, and I was like, "This is." trash bro like uh and i but i think what happened was it we built it to feel like it was falling apart from the start you know we show up late we're missing all our props we're hanging in the costumes audiences are like uh, hey so what's your name and you're like i legitimately have to set up an entire fairy bower like i i, I like i will give you exposition but i really got it and it's oh my god i think everyone gets stressed and i think the yeah. audience is like thinking we're not going to get it done and then the shakespeare happens and we pull a magic trick yeah, yeah. but i you know I, lo I love that you you actually give yourselves this real task it in having college flashbacks to that narrative <laughs> clarity professor of mine my mentor who like he was obsessed with like you know wanting to see work he wanted to mm -hmm. see, he wanted to like get you working in your bodies in the space and not not pretending but like doing the thing for real yeah. and by having these like actual tasks like level you, you just have like oh, oh I'll give you exposition but I got to set this thing up right yeah. you know so it's not it's not a yeah. fake motivation it's like what's your motivation right now get this fucking fairy power <laughs> set up while you're asking me yeah. dumb questions because yeah. there's real consequences if yeah. we don't like yeah, this the is show surreal. will fall apart <laughs> if, if the stage will. is not taped we're fucked <laughs> oh my we actually built a show that if there isn't audience there to help it doesn't happen. Wow. You know, and it, like, yeah. absolutely. I don't know I if anyone that. noticed yesterday, but like, I even fucked up my own shit yesterday. But let's, we built a show where I told the cast yesterday before we started, and another soapbox. Uh, <laughs> uh, I always, the reason why. I, I love that I studied immersive first before I studied Shakespeare intensely. It's because I think the reason why Shakespeare struggles nowadays when people don't like it is because it's too polished, it's too clean, it's too perfect. When they did it back in the day, it was raucous. Like the groundlings were throwing fucking oranges at you. They were buying prostitutes. They were screaming and yelling. And half the shit we have as Shakespeare's text is improvised things that the clown was doing because we don't have what he actually wrote. We have what people heard and what they wrote down from memory. Right. Which. It's crazy to think about because everyone thinks he's this like, I mean, he is, he's a prolific, wonderful writer, but he's not, a, it's not a Bible. Yeah. It's a starting point. It's a jumping off point. And I think, um, I, and I think that I talked myself into a circle because I don't know what I was talking about. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think what we told the cast last night. Oh, and so, and so the, the, the <laughs> thing is, is that everyone's trying to do this very polished, polished thing of Shakespeare with no mistakes, but Shakespeare was full of mistakes. It was nothing, it, it was good because it was messy. And I think that's what immersive taught me. Cause mm. like, like every time I've had a huge show breaking mistake come up in an immersive moment, you flip it on its head and it becomes a new moment and it's magic because you as an actor are actually in the moment. You're no longer a robot because you're like, oh, I have to actually problem solve and do this and that. And then the audience recognizes that. Well, and the audience has no stake. Like, it's no stakes for them if they decide just like fuck with it or, yeah. or, or, or run off with it, right? So like, there's this like, it's some ways it's like always performing for like a toddler. Like they could just, they, they could lose their attention. They could yes. run off. They could like knock things, exactly. knock things Drunk over. Drunk toddlers yeah. sometimes. <laughs> and, and, and so you've got to be on this like knife's edge the yeah. entire time. But then like, it's, it's basically, it's always a rehearsal. Yeah. Like you don't know what your partners are going to do at any moment. Yeah. And, and they really don't know the lines, mm. which makes it 
so much fun. And that's that's what we told our actors yesterday before the show is we were like, every mistake tonight is a gift. And like, let's play that way throughout mm-hmm. the entire night. When and did you know it was going to be Midsummer? When when did oh. when did that happen? When did when was that? Pretty early. We had that. Remember when did we have? We had that idea. Well, we were tossing around other ideas that had to do with fairies. So then we were then we were just going down the path of all the all the different Shakespeare plays that have fairies in it. No. Morgan loves fairies. Love fairies. <laughs> she's a big Morgan fairy nerd. Morgan is a fairy. Yeah, she like reads fairy books all the time. She's a huge fairy nerd. So she's re- mystical and was, magical. Like I knew fairy. it was important that there were fairies. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know why you gave me the mic. I don't well because I'm trying to remember the idea like came to us because we were writing this other show that was based off of uh, Queen Map. Mm-hmm. That's the only spoiler I'll get for this show that will eventually exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's a great idea. Uh, trust me. Uh, <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> but uh, you've earned some trust. You've earned some trust. Yeah, yeah. But we. Uh, we were so set on that, and then we realized it wasn't going to work. And then it was kind of like, well, shit. Like I give up. Mm-hmm. But then. One night, like, I don't, know. I don't we even know where it came. We had this idea. Yeah. And we stayed up for like two or three hours just talking about it. And like one of us would start to fall asleep and the other one would be like, wait, wait, wait. But what if? And we'd keep coming up with new and new ideas for it. And mm. it just kind of like, it, it, the story decided it wanted to be made, I feel like. Yeah. And we just kind of were like, okay. Yeah. And we, and we wrote out all the characters. We wrote out all the ideas. We wrote out all the relationships. And we had all of the ideas. And we had the Midsummer cut, but we hadn't written any immersive yet. And then I had, I had totally flexed on Justin and told him about this show. And I was like, we have this great idea. It's going to be awesome. And then Justin came up to me at a night fever rehearsal and was, he said, so can we read that script? next week i'd love to hear it (laughs) (laughs) and i said oh uh like this coming uh he said like what do you think tuesday or thursday and i i stood there for a second and i wanted to be like i haven't written anything justin but instead i felt something inside of me and morgan wasn't even there i I, and i thought i I just felt felt like writing a check for the both of us i did and i just said thursday we'll have it I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, we'll have it, man. We'll have it by Thursday. No no worries. And then I w- would walk over to Morgan and I was just like, we have to we have to write this entire script in the next week and a half. And uh, it was easy because we had already dreamed up all the ideas. Right. And, um, but Midsummer to an obscenely short play. That was the hardest part, honestly, was cutting Midsummer to uh, reading Midsummer. It, it sat at 45 minutes. Uh, playing it in the space, it goes about an hour, but reading it, it was sat at 45 minutes, which is a crazy short Midsummer cut. Yeah. It, it, Midsummer can take it, though. Like, that's always the thing about that show I find weird and kind of resilient is that it, it almost feels like a show that itself. Uh, was like added, not added to over time, but it's like everything in it is additive, you know, like mm-hmm. each, each it's not compartmentalized because it all builds on it, each other. But like, if you lean away from the Theseus Hippolytus stuff, you're okay. Mm-hmm. If you lean away from the four lovers and focus on, you know, Bottom and Quince and crew, you're okay. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's really, you know, Titania, yeah. Titania, Oberon, and, and Puck, you can't get rid of, and you don't want to get rid of either. Yeah, but, and you, and you, you know? really have to keep all the stuff in there about them fighting over the Indian boy. Yeah. Whatever that is. No, we <laughs> yeah. cut that. What is that? Like, Why is that in there? No. <laughs> Who cares? Like, yeah. we, we never even see him. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's definitely that that feels like some something some VIP bought, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, bonus tickets. Yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. I think some of it is that the the text of Midsummer is so predictable. Like the the pentameter is just like super duper clean, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of and to the uh, the flip side of that is that the prose that the clowns all have is also very easy to cut like on both sides of it you can just kind of like take a whole chunk of it and just throw it out the window because if it's not plot goodbye <laughs> you know yeah there, there there is a lot of poetical text in midsummer that is gorgeous and beautiful but um like oberon for instance all he does is explain what just happened in a more poetic way so we cut oberon to shit because it was like I know. I just saw it. Why are we saying it again? So, sometimes, I, sometimes I wonder if Oberon's speeches and some of the other speeches that do that in Shakespeare are like covering set changes. You know, <laughs> like covering like like we guys, we can't get the mechanicals to work exactly right. So can you just just, just run your mouth for a while? So we had a moment like that with uh, with Bryn on last night when we have a really oh. quick transition, and I was like, Melissa. You uh, can you just come on stage and like be like I'm a genius I'm old and and she did and she just comes on stage and vamps for like uh, just thirty <laughs> seconds. seconds yeah maybe, about a, yeah, maybe a minute yeah, and then we get on stage. Well, and no doubt that's what I feel like Bottom's dream monologue really came from mm. was that it's covering that there's like seven or eight characters that just probably walked off stage as one thing and need to come back on as another. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you have to cover that. Right. And so it's Bottom's job to just like tap dance <laughs> while the other characters are changing. So how dare we cut yeah, that Yeah, I was going to say, wait, wait, which monologue? <laughs> oh, right, we cut it. <laughs> Perhaps it's time for me to learn it. I'm going to surprise everyone and just keep doing yeah. it one night. And you have to pull me off stage. Like, we just stop. We're like, Actually, that's cue. a fun idea. <laughs> oh, now I know what's going to happen. So. <laughs> oh, God. So you're here at the Fringe. You've got, what, six shows ahead of you as of tonight? Yeah. When we're recording this and, oh, and yeah. when, it'll, when it'll drop. And then... Um, you put a lot of work into this. Is is this something you want to hope? You, are you hoping that the fringe is a trial run for the show, and if you know, in in some other format in some other space? Not that a good fridge run in and yeah. of itself can't be an absolute wondrous thing. I, I I made a little hay at the beginning by saying like, oh, you know, fringe shows. I've, I've seen a lot of, I have seen a lot of great work at the fringe over the yeah. years at this fringe, and and this is one of those great shows. Thank you. Uh, we were saying that last night, like to each other in the audience like Terrence and myself and a few other people just being like oh this is like one of the best Fringe shows I've ever seen and mm. and, and there have been some really amazing pieces of work in the Fringe over the years but uh, shows often just sort of like happen to the Fringe and then dissipate is that what's going to happen to this or or, mm-hmm. or you, you have designs I hope not um no, I hope not. It's it's it, it's been a huge learning curve for all three of us. Um, cause w- I mean, Kristen's a producer; she knows what that's like. But like this, not uh, to do it on this small budget and to do it with yeah. the you know, it's it was a huge learning curve. And I think there was a lot of um, I know between Morgan and I, there was a lot of frustration sometimes. Uh, never really at each other though. We were good yeah. team players throughout. Um, I think we just recognized it was hard. There's a lot of jobs. There are a lot of jobs, and there's reasons why there are. There are different yeah. people to do each of those jobs <laughs> yeah like we, we shouldn't do props and costume next yes. time because we don't know how to do either of those yeah. things but yes the answer to your question is yes i um 
if we can keep this going, this particular show writing at a couple different bars or maybe continuing the three clubs, we would probably do that. Um, definitely do that if the actors are available. Um, and then what else is fun is that the Queen's Fools is now a company um, who has another half of their cast, which is missing. Uh-huh. Uh, so if we want to do another play, if we want to do Richard Three, for instance, the Queen's Fools take on Richard Three. I think the next one we do has to be a tragedy because that'll be funny. 100%. Um, then if some of our actors can't do it from our company, then we just say this other person, he was stuck on the Yermo bus and now he's here. Um, so there's infinite possibilities. We could do the entire canon if we wanted to with this immersive company that exists now. Um, and it's really fun to have a fake company. Like it's, it's, it's a <laughs> it fake theater really company. Is. It's yeah, super it, meta. It doesn't exist. The Queen's Fools is not real. Um, but it is. It's yeah. so I, I do think that there's a lot of possibility for con- continuing this work and yeah. continuing this type of Shakespeare. Yeah. So then it would just kind of operate more as like chapters of the story where next time you tune in, there's returning characters, there's new characters, and there's different drama. Yeah, that's for unfolding. sure. I think I think we want to build show upon a show like sequels. So like we'll be like Fast and Furious. We'll get all the way yeah. up to 11. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do a full Exactly. But there will, exactly always, like Fast and there will always be Coronas. Two noble, two kinsmen. Wow. Oh my God! Okay, we we have to end this quickly. We have to go write something now. Excuse us. Oh I may have destroyed them. It's Hilarious. a beautiful thing. No, but, you know what I think is so fun though? It's like because because the Queen's Fools don't exist, right? Because it was something that was like it was Midsummer, and then it was okay. Let's write these characters, and now these characters exist. But there's also there are subtle mirrorings between what's going on in the Shakespeare and what's happening mm-hmm. in the pre-show. And if you're paying attention, you catch them. And I think there's something so fun to Shakespeare over Shakespeare over Shakespeare play with that, with mm-hmm. these characters. Like, how how does that translate for Jay and Michaela and Sid and Theo and into so that we can maintain the essence of who they are, but also let the Shakespeare inform the before. Well, it's, um, it's like when you're doing a show, the characters do start to inform who you are, right? Like for some reason you were cast in this role and it starts to bring out traits of yours. And, and I mean, this is why showmances happen in the first place, right? You know, it's this, it's this, you're, you're, you're being seized by the archetype and then you're going and you're doing the thing and you come out the other side and you're like a little bit more like that person than you were when you started the process. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're lucky we have three couples already, so mm-hmm. nobody fell in love. They just stayed in love. Keeps down on the chaos. Let yeah. me tell you. So, mm-hmm. um, well, I want to thank you all for, for taking the time you got, like I said, three more dates at the fringe as we're recording this. And when it, when this drops and, uh, I hope everyone who is in LA swings by and checks it out. Uh, you're doing two shows each of the Wednesdays that are approaching mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. Anything else you want to let everybody know? Yeah. Um, I think I, I, yeah, I just want to reiterate, like I, I do think this show is incredibly special because I think it falls apart. And I think it's the biggest thing we all fear when we all fear like embarrassing ourselves on stage and looking like idiots. But then we're all up there just letting ourselves be idiots. And I, I hope that when the audience watches it, they can be idiots with us and they can enjoy the, um, it, it is a love letter to the shit show that is the process of every 
theater company, every show you've ever done, every time you've wanted to scream and never do theater again, this is what that is a love letter to because it it's a fickle thing that keeps coming back and you once you love it, you can't get rid of it. Um, so I'm really glad we have a show that like, I don't know, embraces that. It's been the whole thing. And, I, and I've heard people say that's what they feel and that's huge to us. Yeah. 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 Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Anna, Morgan, Mason, and Kristen for being our guests on the show this week. We're going to have more from Tribeca Immersive next week, including more podcast interviews, some Q&As on the website, and our reviews will kick off. Uh, possibly even later today, uh, if, if I don't burn out around three o'clock in the afternoon, let's ghost time. Uh, but we're going to get all that. Plus, Hey, come on by the discord on Monday. I would love to talk to you. Uh, I miss y'all. That's just to be honest. That's the main reason why I'm doing office hours, uh, next week. Okay. Quick note before we go. Um, some of you may have seen a story going around from a site I'd never heard of before called Fatherly about uh, why Galactic Star Cruiser is a flop. Disney wants to know why Galactic Star Cruiser is a flop. Uh, this is, in a word, bullshit. Um, the Star Cruiser is not a flop. Uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, if you, you can look on the Disney site and see, you got to dig a little bit. It's a little hard to find, unfortunately, and see that. Uh, uh, it's booked out through the middle of August, and uh, word of mouth has been pretty damn strong uh, on this thing so far. So uh, just just know there's a lot of folks out there, and, and this the more of these big IPs come into immersive, the more we're going to see this sort of thing happen. Uh, there's a culture war uh, I, I, that I know you're aware of, and for certain things, particularly Star Wars, Marvel, the superhero stuff. Anything that is like a culture war battleground, and particularly anything involving Disney these days, just be mindful. Uh, odds are someone's got an agenda and uh, they're trying to manipulate the situation and they're hoping that the perception of failure creates the reality of failure because perception shapes reality. Um, it's, it's really easy to, to fall for this stuff. Uh, I get caught sometimes myself. Um, just... Uh, if if you don't know the source, this is always the best advice I give anyone. If you don't know the source, double check before you share. Simple as that. All right. Um, that's enough for now. Uh, there's another version of this. I just recorded it. It goes up for like 13 minutes on this topic. I'm sparing you all. If you want that one, come by on Monday to the Discord. All oh. I erased it, but I can I can recreate it live for you. All right, that's enough of that for now. Uh, let's do the show. We thank the sustaining backers earlier. We spared all you a rant. Uh, the associate producer for the podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Percent is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Siobhan O'Loughlin voices our intro. And uh, this podcast uh, is made by yours truly, and uh, you know what? I'm going to do a new version of the credits next week uh, and give some more shout outs to, to more of the team um, because it's time. All right. But uh, I'm not going to do that live right now. Just let everybody know. Hold me accountable if I don't do it. All right. Also, uh, if if I don't put the explicit tag on this episode, I'm really sorry. I keep reminding myself to do that because, uh, you know, we curse in the 
thing. There you go. <laughs> this has been Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>